Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. Happy May! Summer is almost here. So since the last episode, I caught up on the Maisie Dobbs series. I keep feeling like, oh, this is the last book. And with how they end, it often feels like that could be the case, only to be proven wrong. I likely will be again. Ordinary Insanity is still in progress as a book I'm only occasionally reading. This time around, I was distracted by, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back which is book number two in a series uh, that collects short stories from the viewpoints of Star Wars characters you might only see briefly in the films. Kind of in the tradition of the Kevin J. Anderson edited Star Wars story collections, like Tales from Jabba's Palace, published in 1995. If any of you Star Wars fans who read those books in the 90s recall, uh, I picked up Certain Point of View, number two, because it featured stories from Martha Wells about Cloud City and Hank Green, who is brother of John Green. And Hank Green's story was about a scientist working for the Rebel Alliance on Hoth. And speaking of John Green, a friend of mine at this point would usually say something like The Fall. Did you know, John Green has a new book called The Anthropocene Reviewed, Essays on, human-centered, on a Human-Centered Planet, coming out on May 18th. The first printing of 250,000 books will feature a tip-in sheet signed by the author, available wherever books are sold. So that's Tuesday. It is likely that it will be a featured book later this year, depending on the pile, the, the book pile progress. And in the past few episodes, I've talked about several graphic novel series, and I, I did finish Nailbiter and Gideon Falls. And while the endings were not terrible, they didn't really live up to the rest of the series. Uh, Gideon Falls did a reasonable job of handling things, uh, whereas Nailbiter just felt like the creators decided they wanted to finish with that current volume and dumped a lot of explanation towards the end. So I'd still probably recommend Gideon Falls, if nothing else, because the art in it is wonderful, but uh, Nailbiter doesn't have the same... uh, status or artistic well the the artwork at least did not speak to me but anyway we'll move on now into our featured books for this week our first featured book is the light of days the untold story of women resistance fighters in hitler's ghettos it is by judy battalion a white canadian who describes her early working life as a phase of career promiscuity She has worked as a curator, researcher, editor, lecturer, comic, script reader, performer, actor, producer, and writer. She studied the history of science in pursuit of PhD in art history, and her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, Vogue, Forward, Salon, and the Jerusalem Post. This is her second book. Her first was White Walls, a memoir about motherhood, daughterhood, and the mess in between, published in 2014. I don't recall where exactly I initially heard of this title, it's likely uh, I saw it through a Goodreads giveaway, the tracking I have for the title being added to my to-read library and Goodreads lists as March 2020, and it was only released April of this year. 
So the light of days, as written on that alliance personal webpage, witnesses to the brutal murder of their families and neighbors and the violent destruction of their communities. A cadre of Jewish women in Poland, some still in their teens, helped transform the Jewish youth groups into resistance cells to fight the Nazis. With courage, guile, and nerves of steel, these ghetto girls paid off Gestapo guards, hid revolvers and loaves of bread and jars of marmalade, and helped build systems of underground bunkers. They flirted with German soldiers, bribed them with wine, whiskey, and home cooking, used their Aryan looks to seduce them, and shot and killed them. They bombed German train lines and blew up a town's water supply, and they also nursed the sick and taught children. So uh, back in 2018, I read the book Irina's Children about Irina Sendler, who worked as a public health specialist with access to the Warsaw Ghetto and used that access to save some 2,500 children. And so it's great to see these continuing works of scholarship that uh, offer an expansion of information about Jewish women's roles or women in general in resisting the Germans during World War II, the Nazis, and the Holocaust, resisting the Holocaust. So Badalion has a personal connection. Uh, her grandmother uh, was a Polish Holocaust survivor uh, who she talks about a little bit in the introduction. The progress of the writing of this book took a long time as well. Uh, in 2007, Adeline took a research trip to the British Library where she was looking to find information and resources about strong Jewish women, and she found a book in Yiddish that's translated title is Women in the Ghettos that talked about many of the people that she researched and wrote about in The Light of Days. So as, as mentioned above, this we're talking about just the women's contribution to, to the World War II, this does help broaden the discussion of the Holocaust, further showing that reactions and actions undertaken by the victims and the survivors of the Holocaust vary greatly depending on many different factors. So throughout all the women described or detailed in this book, uh, not only does Battalion give us a list in the beginning of who they were, where they lived, and some general information about those to help us keep track of who they, who they all were, but she also follows their lives from the beginning of World War II in Poland, so very early on, to the end of the lives of those different women, which could be anywhere from during the war to decades after. So this book grapples both with what occurred and then the legacy of it and the understanding. Our second work also talks about the legacy and understanding of materials. So this is the monumental challenge of preservation, the past in a volatile world. It's written by Michelle Clunin, a white American library and information science educator. She is a graduate from Bennington College and has a master's and PhD in library and information science from the University of Illinois. She has worked as a book conservator, preservation administrator, and a rare book curator. From 2013 to 2018, she was the editor of the periodical Preservation, Digital Technology, and Culture. She is currently Dean Emerita and Professor at Simmons School of Library and Information Science at Simmons University. So this book I came across reviewed in a periodical I read for my day job. I don't remember the exact one, but I know it featured a few other books that I'm hoping to read soon as well. 
So the monumental challenge of preservation is focused, of course, on the monuments, movable, immovable, tangible, and intangible of the world's shared cultural heritage that are at risk. War, terrorism, natural disaster, vandalism, and neglect make the work of preservation a greater challenge than it has been since World War II. The monumental challenge of preservation, Michelle Clunan makes the case that at this critical juncture, we must consider preservation in the broadest possible context. Preservation requires the efforts of an increasing number of stakeholders. So informationally, this is a great book that encourages readers to question what and why we as professionals or possibly society preserve what we do. Again, this is all written pre-COVID, so I feel like it has even greater import now as we see things playing out both politically and uh, socially as many people are getting vaccinated, but others are still choosing not to. And even those vac getting vaccinated are finding themselves stricken with COVID. So as demonstrated with our first book, preserving materials is only half the process. So uh, Bataline found a book that was written, but the stories had kind of gone silent or lost, could have been lost to history. And the monumental challenge of preservation speaks to that because a library can put many resources into preserving the, the items that they find historically important or notable, but they also need to promote them and encourage local researchers, their campus community, to be using them and engaging with them. So the book includes lots of examples and discussion, and one of the recurrent ones is the Bamiyan Buddhas destroyed by the Taliban in 2001. So it goes into the destruction that, that occurred, possible uh, stages of preservation, attempts to recreate it, and the various discussions and issues with all of those things. Most of the sections read as short essays, and there are some callbacks or other references, but it can be read in a few sittings. In uh, the introduction, Clunan talks about how many of these sections were expansions on things she'd written as the editor for the Preservation Digital Technology and Culture. So readers of that might find some familiar topics rediscussed here. Most surprising thing for me reading the book, and uh, unfortunately this is a negative thought, but was the image quality. So I'd purchased a used copy of it, and I'm hopeful that it was an unlabeled advanced copy, but in the, the volume I'd read, it makes the book makes use of many images to help reinforce the content discussed, and some of them were of terrible quality when I feel like they shouldn't have been. So, it, for example, they had a picture of the Bamiyan Buddhas uh, that was a web-based image from 2001. So that, of course, one would expect not to be of a great image quality. But then there's another section where she talks about uh, some architectural photographs that are part of a university's collection. And those were very pixelated and low, of low quality. So I don't know if that was a placeholder image that someone didn't go back in and correct because Clunan includes some of her personal photographs that look quite wonderful, or uh, some other archival images that look good. So again, a minor visual thing, but it can detract somewhat. And if not addressed separately, is a certainly something to be concerned about when it comes to preservation. Our third book transitions us into our fiction, uh, as you've no doubt noticed throughout this series, I tend to read more fiction than nonfiction, though I do try and balance them out. Our third book of the episode is To Be Taught, If Fortunate, 
It is by Becky Chambers, a white American science fiction author, best known for her Hugo Award-winning Wayfarer series, which I've just started the first volume of. Her work has also been nominated for many other awards, including the Arthur C. Clarke Award and the Women's Prize for Fiction. She has a background in performing arts and grew up in a family heavily involved in space science. So I picked this book up uh, after seeing a, a blurb probably from Book Riot about the Wayfarer series as a great science fiction, or it could have been from Tor. One of those two is where I've been pulling a lot of book recommendations lately. Uh, and I wanted to try the author's writing to, and this, my library had this shorter work. And I, turns out I really enjoyed it. So I will probably try and seek out more of uh, Becky Chambers' work. So To Be Taught at Fortunate is a novella focused on a team of four explorers on a mission to ecologically survey four habitable planets as they travel away from Earth, both in time and distance. So again, it's a novella. Uh, I seem to have been reading a lot more sci-fi novellas the past year with Murderbot series and uh, some others that if you ever look at our holding, our reviews and read, read books on Goodreads, you get an idea for. So the survey team is able to travel this distance from Earth thanks to the development of the synthetic biological sublimation that allows astronauts to travel by soma forming. They're basically in semi-stasis where hair and nails grow, but their metabolism is way slowed down and they're almost in some sort of sleep, like deep sleep. And it is character-driven, focused on why the crew choose, chose to explore despite the personal sacrifice. So again, even though they are traveling in semi-stasis, as we see in many science fiction stories, those on Earth are aging as well. So it's likely that if the explorer crew ever makes it back to Earth, those they knew and loved will either be dead or greatly aged. Uh, and I really like the discussion, the technology used in this in this book and the development of space exploration itself, because it the company structure chambers spend some time about showing it was like a, a crowdfunded initiative. So again, a brief one, but certainly a, a well thought out science fiction premise. Our fourth book is Security by Gina Wolsdorf. So this one also takes a fictional premise and goes to extremes, but I feel like this one is a less broad audience. So I think it was featured in a Book Riot article, but uh, when I was trying to locate that one from 2021, I was not able to find it. So Security is about the terrible truth about Manderley, is that someone is always watching. Manderley Resort is a gleaming new 20-story hotel on the California coast. It's about to open its doors, and the world, at least those with the means to afford it, will be welcomed into a palace of opulence and unparalleled security. But someone is determined that Mandalay will never open. The staff has no idea that their every move is being watched, and over the next 12 hours, they will be killed off one by one. Uh, that is the official summary. So in looking at... Uh, at the book, I do need to be a little cautious in how much I discuss, as there is a major twist that is hinted from the beginning, but made clear quite later in the book. Uh, so between that twist and the stylic, stylistic choice, or potentially gimmick, depending on your view of it, of having split paragraphs to show events taking in place in more than one location is what made me feature this book. So how that works is throughout the events of the book, they might have uh, the, the killer appear doing one thing while some of the other staff in the hotel are doing other things. So the author has handled this by having side-by-side -side paragraphs or maybe a little split 
section in the text to kind of show the different things that are viewable through the security system. So Goodreads summary and some of the other official summaries bill it as a blend of romance, thriller, and a mystery. And if we're all honest, it reads much more like a slasher film. Gory deaths with some touches of humor and slapstick. There is also a very belabored and tired love story. The, the main character is Tessa, who is basically the, the assistant to the owner of the film, uh, of the uh, hotel, Manderley Resort. And she's visited at work by her adopted stunt motorcycle riding brother, who has finally come to tell her how he really feels after they've been apart for so many years due to the death of his twin brother. So yeah, a lot, lot, lot of stereotypes and tired themes. And unfortunately, it does fall into this flash, slasher stereotypes, where some of the first people killed are the mini minority characters. And it is mar the whole book as, is marred by uh, the poor choice of having the only gay character portrayed as a lazy, duplicious prankster. So read, read if you're interested in the slasher theme, but uh, it is still somewhat problematic. Our final book is less problematic. It is Whereabouts by uh, Nilejana Sudeshna or Jampa Lahiri, uh, an American author born in London to Indian immigrant parents. She's the recipient of a Guggenheim Fellowship and many other awards, such as the National Humanities Medal and the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. She is best known for her 2003 book, The Namesake, that was made into a film of the same name, released in 2005, starring Cal Penn as the lead actor. So the uh, I've been familiar with Lahiri's work uh, way back in episode one, the very first episode of the show. Uh, I talked about The Interpreter of Maladies. And this book was just released in April 2021, so it is a pretty new book. Um, Whereabouts is about a lonely, unnamed woman working in academia, sharing short ruminations on her life through the course of a year, with chapters or sections centered around a location. So it was originally written in Italian and translated back into English by the author. Uh, and overall, it it's... The sections are very short as a whole. It's a fairly short book, but it does certainly have you or encourage me to think about where I am, the people I, I socialize with and talk to regularly. And while I don't feel as lonely as this author, because I do have a family that I'm around daily, it does make me think about the conflict I often feel like when it comes to weekends of do I go out and do things or do I stay at home? Uh, it, it was very reminiscent to me of Speedboat by Renata Adler, uh, in that it's a single person's life told through episodic sections over a set course of time. Like that, trying to find yourself in a foreign place, while uh, and then again alternates between seeking those social interactions and hiding from them. And it's lots of little tiny slices of life, like a, a store you remember going to and what it's become now or meeting up with an old friend and their new family for a brief interaction before the family leaves. Just lots of little, little scenes. It could also encourage one to start a journal of their own. Those are our featured books for this week. Uh, next, next episode, I'm hoping to have read the following. The first, 
Fulfillment, Winning and Losing in One-Click America by Alec McGillis. Uh, in this book, an award-winning journalist investigates Amazon's impact on the wealth and poverty of towns and cities across the United States. And our other reading soon title is The Sympathizer by Viet Thanh Nguyen. And that is uh, focused on in April 1975, and Sa Saigon is in chaos. At his villa, a general of the South Vietnamese army is drinking whiskey and with the help of his trusted captain, drawing up a list of those who will be given passage aboard the last flights out of the country. The general and his compatriots start a new life in Los Angeles, unaware that one among their number the trusted captain is secretly observing and reporting on the group to a higher up in the Viet Cong. This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story, feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, no one should be shamed for reading.